0: Hey team, welcome back to the Virtus Performance Podcast. Now, my guest for today uh, is Todd Jarrett. Now, I first met Todd about four years ago uh, through the motocross world, through our, our coaching and training at Virtus Performance. And it's uh, it's been a bit of a wild ride for the last four years. There's, there's been lots happening both in our world and in Todd's world. And he's someone who I've respected and looked up to. From afar uh, after he moved up to the sunny coast uh, a few years ago and you know he's someone that i've kept in touch with and, and we've been we've been lucky enough to keep an eye on each other um, and still maintain a, uh, a decent level of, of friendship and relationship and toddy's been through a, a bit of a journey over the last uh six to twelve months and he's someone that's incredibly driven and, you know, was incredibly career driven and something that we'll we dove into pretty quickly into the podcast that things changed a little bit for him health wise in the last uh six, 12 months and and it's kind of shifted his worldview and, and shifted his mission a little bit. And, you know, rather than me talking about it now, I'll uh, I'll let Todd talk about it for the next hour and a half. But before I do that, uh when we walked into my office today, Toddy saw the Desiderata uh, poem by Max Ehrman mm-hmm. sitting on the wall, and, and a lot of it uh, is reflective of the journey that he's been on, or that he's currently on, and you know, rather than me talk about the podcast, I thought I'd read Desiderata for you before we get stuck in, so here we go, and I apologize if I butcher something, because I probably will. Go placidly amid the noise and the haste, and remember what peace there may be in silence. As far as possible, without surrender, be on good terms with all persons. Speak your truth quietly and clearly and listen to others, even to the dull and the ignorant. They too have their story. Avoid loud and aggressive persons. They are vexatious to the spirit. If you compare yourself with others, you may become vain or bitter, for always there will be a greater and lesser persons than yourself. Enjoy your achievements as well as your plans. Keep interested in your own career, however humble, it is a real possession in the changing fortunes of time. Exercise caution in your business affairs, for the world is full of trickery. But let this not blind you to what virtue there is. Many persons strive for high ideals, and everywhere life is full of heroism. Be yourself, especially do not feign affection, neither be cynical about love. For in the face of all aridity and disenchantment, it is as perennial as the grass. Take kindly the counsel of the years, gracefully surrendering the things of youth. Nurture strength of spirit to shield you in sudden misfortune, but do not distress yourself with dark imaginings. Many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness. Beyond a wholesome discipline, be gentle with yourself. You're a child of the universe. No less than the trees and the stars, you have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Therefore, be at peace with God, whatever you conceive him to be, and whatever your labours and aspirations in the noisy confusion of life, keep peace in your soul. With all its sham, drudgery, and broken dreams, it is still a beautiful world. Be cheerful, strive to be happy. And here's Todd. My personal and business goal is to be just a little bit better every day. I believe everyone, especially normal people, have a story to tell. The Virtus Podcast exists to help us all find small ways of consistent improvement by discussing the journey and experiences of each of our guests. Todd Jarrett, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me on.
0: It's been a long time coming, this one.
1: Oh, it certainly has been.
0: What's uh, what's news?
1: Everything. Been on a bit of a journey the last few months.
0: You certainly have, and we're definitely going to dive into that. But before we do, I have a question for you. Yes. What gets you out of bed in the morning? Hmm. That is a good question. I'm going to preface this question for everyone else by saying it's probably twisted and tweaked a little bit over the last six, 12 months, hey?
1: <laughs> Yeah, it certainly has. If you were to... Actually, I'll give that. Two points. If you were to ask me 12 months ago, it would have been like career. Like, I've got to do this to yeah. get to my goals in 20 years' time. So it would have been career. If you ask me right now, what gets me out of bed in the morning is to enjoy the present moment. Like, it's a complete reversal.
0: Take me through... And this is a, this is a deep dive of a question, but take me through that transition from... A career to, to point B now.
1: Mm, So the, the context of it would be that, uh, say 12 months ago, just before this time last year, I was teaching sports science and ex-phys, uh, at the university, running our mentorship programs, coaching athletes, um, doing online consulting. And it was, I was living up in, on the sunny coast and everything was focused on my career, which is what it had been for the last few years. And, um, and then... It started to hit me. My health. I had a big flare up with the autoimmune condition I've um, dealt with, which is ulcerative colitis, um, which many people would sort of, as you start to speak with people, it's it's quite common. Um, but the the flare up kind of continued, and and basically I lived with the the symptoms of the condition for over a year straight without any um, sort of um, relief from it. But the that transition moving to where I am now really started in I would say like the last six months I'd been nailing my nutrition and and um, nailing let's say like stress management and things like that um, earlier on last year uh, or earlier on this year I should say yeah. <clears throat> but when my health got really rough mid mid 2019 so towards June um, when I was sort of hospitalized for the first time, uh, I started to look at things and go, "What is this really worth it? Because basically I lived my whole life up until this point and through a lot of deep reflection in the last couple of months, I now know why. Yeah. Um, but everything was focused towards the career and, and pursuit of the, what I'm now calling the external journey, which is kind of like, for anyone else, their outer purpose or their um, superficial achievements. Yeah. And um, I got to that point where I was like, is this really going to be sustainable? And the more people I spoke to, they said, look, you're running yourself into the ground. Like, look, you'll achieve your goals when you by the time you're 30, mm. but you'll probably be dead at 35. <laughs> yeah. um, is that really something you want? I said, no, I wanna impact the world much greater than that. So I wanna be here for longer. So it got to a sort of that tipping point of, um, I was trying to manage um, the business. By this stage, I'd stopped consulting with athletes. My focus was solely I actually made that decision in September when the first flare up um, occurred. My first step was okay, I'm so not you coaching athletes
0: back a little bit first. Yeah.
1: So I took that step away from training athletes in the gym. I was still consulting online and and still teaching at uni and doing the programs, but my focus became the programs, the mentorship, our business, our my passion. And um, then when the the big flare ups happened, um, when I was in hospital, that's when I spoke to a few more people and said, "Look, what do you think?" And then uh, one of my really – is a, a close friend, an incredible person, Nick Bennett, up on the Sunshine Coast. Just
0: shout-out, Bell, so just whack that. Oh, it's
1: okay. Oh, done. Um, yeah, so so I actually spoke um, with family and friends and things like that, and it yep. was Nick that asked me that he's always incredible at asking the, the right, right, right questions. And, um, and I said on that day, oh, look, we'll, we'll take the leap of faith. I'm going to put my health first. And that was the day I said I'm going to step away from business altogether. Yep. So since – uh, geez, that might have been July, June, July. Yep. That's when I've, I haven't technically worked since then.
0: That's hectic. Um, October 22nd.
1: Yeah, and it'll probably, I'd say, stay like that for at least another month or two. Yeah. Um, so I'm very fortunate that I set myself up where I could afford to do that. Um, but yeah, this to, to where I am in terms of that question, enjoying the present moment, um, when I stepped away from the business, which is something I needed to do for myself, it was just that, as we spoke about earlier this morning, chronic stress. Um, It wasn't like things kept popping up, but it was always just focusing on the future. What's the next thing? And and that chronic stress built up. And yeah, so when I decided to step away from the business, I was like, okay, if I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this properly. Because I've always believed in plan A, doing it all in. So I,
0: was one way um, or another with you.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I took, I went into um, two weeks of, you'd call it isolation. Went up to Port Douglas or to a place nearby, Airbnb out in the bush. Yeah. No phone, no laptop, um, no communication with the outside world. Just cooked food, meditated. And uh, I didn't even for the, f- I journaled after, for the first six days it was just that. Yeah, um, and then after the sixth day, I allowed myself to read. First book I read was *The Alchemist*. Good, and then the next book immediately after that was um, *Power of Now*. Yeah, and then I was reading *Man's Search for Meaning*. So cool. it's it's just yeah. been this this deepening <laughs> journey. Um, so you've gone
0: from a lot of like heavy personal development books over the last few years to more like it's personal development, but it's more like introspection. Those three.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, they and it's funny how. I'm a big believer in life happens for us. Yeah, Really, life just happens. Life just is. And we choose how we perceive we it. Assign,
0: we decide to assign meaning to certain things. Exactly,
1: right? that interpretation. And um, yeah, I was up in Port Douglas and had that time. And I was like, I'd been stewing on The Alchemist for a while. Like a, an ex-girlfriend of mine <laughs> had had it years before. And I remember she was telling me about it. And I sort of thought, oh, yeah, cool. Never went further with it. Yeah. And I read that and it was... In, in the book while I was up there it spoke about obviously the personal legend and omens um, and that, that's been a big thing that I've held on to I'm living my personal legend on yep. this journey that I'm on right now um, because it's something that I want to be able to share with more people around the world that's a big part of like the, the disease side of things have you only read it
0: once yep I'm challenging it before like before the end of the year because it's a pretty close timeline but read yeah. it again. Yes. It's a different book. Like I try and read it every 6 to 12 months. Yeah. I, rec- I think I've read it 3 or 4 times but every time that you read it it's a completely different book. Yeah. It freaks me out. Yeah. Like obviously the book doesn't change but we change yeah. how we look at certain aspects of it. And the last time I read it was just the The importance of appreciating the the journey and the steps and the process, and not worrying about like where you're headed is obviously important, Mm. especially when you have these things you want to achieve. But if you're not enjoying the present moment, yeah, fuck's the point? That's kind of like been your your transition over the last six months. Because ever since I met you, you've just been like bullet gate. I want to achieve this. I'm going to achieve this, and you've ticked all the boxes. (laughs) But it's uh, you know, it's like you say, life doesn't happen for a reason. Or life just happens and I probably yeah. would assign myself to a similar belief system. Yeah. But it's been pretty cool to see externally and then to catch up with you today and chat to you about how your mindset's kind of shifted with it.
1: Because it yeah. had to. Yes. Yeah. So it was kind of like that, at what cost? Like, yeah. You can achieve, but at what cost? And I never realized that. And mum's been telling me since <laughs> I was a kid and I used to refute it like as hard as I possibly could. Yeah. Shout out to mum. <laughs> <laughs> She's Bring a, that closer, because I reckon there's going to be a few. She's, she has been like a rock for me all these yeah, years. Awesome. Um, she'd be my, my best friend. Um, that'll make her tear up, guaranteed. <laughs> I'm sorry that you're crying right now, mum. <laughs> so she's always been telling me, like, you need to have balance in life. Yeah. And for me, and all of this comes down to personal values that I developed through my childhood, through the introspection I told you about in coaching myself in journaling, yeah. um, that I used to assign balance with mediocrity. And being average. And to me, yeah. I was against normal because I felt normal was average. And to succeed, you had to be different. Yeah. So I never wanted to be balanced because for some reason, I assigned in my head the fact that balance was having two empty buckets on either side. Yeah. You weren't good at anything. Yeah. Whereas this is where I've come to through this journey. is like, you can be incredible at your career. You just need to balance that with being incredible at switching off yeah. or, or taking the mindfulness side of things to importance. Yeah. So. so I
0: haven't had the same health issues that you've had, but I think we've been through similar journeys in completely different ways. Yeah. Because I reckon if you if you go back sixty to I'll probably go back to episode ten of this podcast. Oh, like and we would have talked about balance a bunch of times. And I'm like, fucking hate that word balance. <laughs> like, just the idea that you have to slow down. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe it's getting older, and you know, you saying that your mum was right. Like. I, I got a theory that we become like we become a, an adult when yeah. we realise that our parents were my, right about most things <laughs> which fucks with you right because yeah. when you're 15 to 24 or 25 you're just like why, do they, why did they do all those things and you start to actually see why yeah. and you realise why because it's it's a part of growing up I think mm. but that that uh, I guess learning or that moment where you can kind of look at your parents and you're kind of like why didn't i listen to this yeah like it's a pretty heavy learning experience
1: you didn't want to hear it like you just want to refute and and reject what they're saying because you want to be right or you you want to justify what you're feeling anyway yeah which is a big thing so yeah poor man that time in port douglas was deep that was really really hectic did you
0: did you set out to like you're a pretty structured human being did you set out with here's my intention, this is what I'm going to do, this is how I'm going to set it up, or is it just I'm going to go and do what I need to? It was actually, yeah,
1: It was I had no plan and structure. First time in my life. And that was, again, (laughs) thanks to Nick. Because Nick was like, take some time. And I was like, okay, so I'll do this, and (laughs) this, and this, and this. And he's like, you're already setting expectations. Like, you're already putting yourself under pressure to achieve these Mm -hmm. things. What happens if you don't? You'll feel like you've failed at that place. And I don't really believe in failure. I believe in learning. But that same principle applied. Definitely. So I just said, okay. And si- basically since then, when yeah. I went up north, the last few months has me being just... I'm just going to be today and do today and not have that that guideline or, or have those pressures or expectations. Yeah. Even, like, people haven't known where I'm going, what I'm doing, but that's how I've wanted it to be because I haven't wanted to have it myself. Yeah. So, yeah, that was two weeks in that, that isolation. And I saw... I had a friend... Um, cat that actually, <laughs> there we yeah, um, she did some coaching with me and was incredible <laughs> yep. through that time because I had a lot of, a lot of things that I wanted to dig up on. Yep. Not that I needed to, but I love introspection awesome. uh, and value that awareness. So uh, it's a deep, dark,
0: disgustingly beautiful rabbit hole. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> and that kind of, what happened then? I went, went and visited family down in Vic, and that's when the health got really rough. Yeah. Couldn't get out of bed, couldn't bend over, couldn't turn around, couldn't pick up my bag, couldn't play with my niece and nephew. That one was hard, yeah. emotionally hard. Um, called up the specialist in Queensland, and they said, we need to send you in for a rescue treatment, which yeah. for me, I thought I was just going in to get heavier medication. Yep. I went in there, and they basically said, look, we're either going to take your bowel out or, or your, your risk of sepsis at the moment, which was... Wow. mum was on speakerphone at the time and when they brought up the fact of like, he said it pretty bluntly and was the fact that you've got a high chance if this happens that you could die in the next 24 to 48 hours. So mum's on speakerphone (laughs) and I start breaking down and I was like, this is rough. Um, And at that point, I sort of, trying to explain it via social media post, is hard. But basically I I started to, even though they may have just been scare, scare tactic, Um, For me, they may have been doing that. It worked. (laughs) It worked because for the next 48 hours, I was just like, if I die, this is what happens. And that's when I sort of had that big realization of... You hear people say, like, what really matters. Um, But that was one of them. The other realization I had was that if this happened 10 weeks ago, I wouldn't have been happy to die. I wouldn't have been ready before I went to Port Douglas. I would have been like in this complete state of shock, and absolute mess. Like I can't, I need all of this time in my life. I've got all of these things to achieve because yeah. that's where I was mentally. Yeah. But after Port Douglas and after this time of introspection, I was able to go, If if I die next, like in the next 24 hours, if I die tomorrow, I'm happy in what I know and what I've experienced.
0: That was big. What do you think it was about that experience or environment? Obviously, there's going to be a bunch of factors, but mm. that's a... It's not a 180, because you're on that journey to figure out what a little bit more about yourself and where you're headed and how you feel about the world, but what do you think it was about that experience that shifted things so dramatically?
1: I'd say the time to really dig. <laughs> because and this we spoke about this with the meditation course that'll probably pop up in the podcast afterwards yeah but we spoke about this this morning how i said when you're in an environment that allows you to truly dig down without external distractions then you can even though we may um, and this is for everyone out there we we want to let's say like journaling we might journal for two hours and we feel like we've gotten to a deeper level when we've still got our phones around us, or our laptops, or we've still got work on, or we're reading a book in and around that, we've still got a lot of things coming in and out of the mind. Yep. Um, so we've, we've gotten down to a bit deeper of a level, but it was having that for the first six days of nothing, yeah. um, that was crazy because it was kind of around about day three and a half, day four, that I started to really click things off, almost like tick, 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 finding these yep. things out. Um, so I'd say definitely the ability to truly clear the mind of, of distractions. So not, I challenge anyone that's listening that's ever thought about doing it to actually switch your phone off for a week, like if you could. <laughs> it's it's And that's the it's thing. Th- so it's off the way we live our yeah, lives. Right? exactly. Um, so what I've, I've done that now for, in total, I've done that for a month and a half. My phone's been off in the last couple of months. Yeah. Um, been away from it. Because it's I've... Complete I've
0: put, 180 to where you would have been.
1: Yeah, I lived on my phone. That's all it was. It was comparison to what everyone else is doing, what we're yeah. doing. and Yeah, so in short to that, I'd say the isolation and, and being able to actually dig down deep. Putting yourself in an environment where you can thrive, really. Yeah,
0: just and that solitude teaches you to... Well, you just got to look after yourself. And did you find... Because oh, I would have been episode 20-something. Bo Miles, one of the guys I've had on, spoke to me about solitude and... That kind of caused me to go and take a two-day trip. It was only a really short trip, which was just like, just spend time with yourself, nothing mm-hmm. else. And yeah. I only did it, I went kayaking, I stayed on an island one night, just hung out by myself. And yeah. I found, and I would like to do that for a longer period of time. And I've been meaning to do it all year, but it just hasn't happened. So it's, this might be another kick up the butt to do it before things get really crazy. Yeah, But... I found that short term, the first 6 6-12 hours, I got everything just got really simple. I needed mm. to eat, I needed to <laughs> I needed to drink some water, I needed to have shelter and I needed to find somewhere to do my business. Yeah. And that was it. And yeah. I've kind of like there's that peacefulness that came with just having to do those basic things. Kinda sounds like so, things hundred
1: and fifty years ago. <laughs> yeah, it
0: was just like bottom that bottom, you know, two parts of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm. just that was ticked off. Yeah. And that was all that mattered. Yeah. Did you find that that was kind of like the first step when you're in Port Douglas by yourself, and then you kind of started thinking about you know, what's been happening and what the future held and your health, and so dive into
1: that? Yeah, I think the first for me it would have been the first yeah day was actually so to speak. Filtering away, or it's almost like swimming away from everything that was there before. Yeah. Um, which would still be all of the questions that are going on your he- going on in your head. Am I doing the right thing? And it's all of that. So that's that's really stepping away from it was the first day or so, and then yeah, from there, it's almost like as soon as you get away from all of the distractions, all of the noise, then you can you can start to feel it more. I think I was trying not to. Uh, in the first few days, trying not to to think really, it was just do. Yep. So whatever popped into my head, I was like, I'll go do that. So that um, I had a really nice, very nice place. I'm fortunate to to have got out in the bush, but it actually like it had a plunge pool, and it was on the back of the forest. Over the front, it looked over farming area with with animals, um, and then it had like the bedroom was up the top, so I could meditate in the bedroom, hop in the plunge pool, sit out in the sun and journal. Yep. So I was just like, whenever it popped up, I just did. did it. Um. So, the I believe I saw it before in the gym. Um, the subtle art of not giving a fuck <laughs> yeah. by Manson Mark. What Manson. do you think about that book? Uh, it took a lot of complicated principles and made them very simple to follow, which I liked. Yeah. The the one thing I've taken from it is the do something principle that's right at the end of the book, and because. For me, that's what's going to change my life yep. um, in the future. It's just follow the do something principle. Because I used to be the analytic. I was the yeah. paralysis by analysis. So um, we are not the same in that aspect. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a, I, I've always it's an interesting book because I thought like it kind of. I think it could have been like a third of the size. Just mm, getting get out yeah. like some really simple, simple but powerful um, aspects to it. And then it kind of got took on a mind of its own because it's got a swear word in it, and yeah. so many people started reading it. That, yeah. that irked me, yeah. and then I, and then I kind of started hating it. <laughs> yeah. Like even though I read it and it was, and I got got a fair bit out of it, and then I started diving into his his uh, his website and some yeah. of his articles. Yeah, and he's a powerful writer. Yeah, I appreciated him so much more when I started reading into all of his all of his uh blogs and his blogs and things. Cause yeah, it's just. Yeah, everyone needs to read it. Yeah. But I think everyone needs to take the next two or three steps and, and dive into his his actual content. Yeah. His, yeah, his
1: blog posts are nuts.
0: Just, just do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Raw truth. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's like, and I think maybe the look he's done well for clickbait from a clickbait catchy title perspective. <laughs> yeah. Everyone jumps in on it. Yeah. But I think it's yeah he's a he's an incredible writer. Mm-hmm. What was the and like I want to stay on that. That little trip you had for, mm. for a minute before we kind of dive forward into what happened next and coming mm. back into the real world but that i guess you created that and that's you that's the real world for that period of time mm. what shifted from you just doing to you jumping into journaling and then adding some books to the to the mix
1: when i went in i wanted to initially take a book with me yep. and it was only in the spur of the moment, when I was about to head off from Port Douglas, actually out to the Airbnb, because it wasn't in town, yeah. um, that I was like, no, nah, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it properly. Yeah. And I was like, no books, yeah. going to go out on a limb and see how I go. And um, so the first couple of days in, in that sense, the, the journaling was the biggest thing for me, because I, I went through two journals in that two weeks yes. D- nuts like the amount i went through so many pens did you journal beforehand oh yeah i used to yeah. but not to the point i was no way um no. not to the point i have been either since journaling is kind of like that secret weapon now but it's not secret like it's exactly i, I love how much you journal <laughs> it's yes
0: yeah, it's, i was talking to cooper about this today because i've kind of had the probably the best month and a bit of training yeah for probably a couple of years yeah like since i was heavy in a footy and yeah Stuff like that, and I was kind of like trying to think about why, like, what was the thing? What's the thing that's giving me a kick up the ass? And like, yeah, I don't want to dad bod, and yeah, I want to play better footy next year, and like, all those things are kind of like a superficial thing, but yeah. I was like, what makes me tick? And I was like, what else have I actually committed to properly? And like, journaling, I think today might be day four hundred or something. Yeah. In a row. Um, Congratulations. Three ninety nine, four hundred tomorrow. So we'll ring the bell tomorrow. But yeah, like that number at the top of the page, like just just in so- like lights of fire in me yeah. it's like if I see 399 I can't wait to hit 400 Yeah, and I see 400 I can't wait to hit 401 yeah. I've been doing the same thing with my training yeah. for, the last, for the last 30 odd days Because yeah, okay. I've been tracking sessions so yep. number of sessions total volume yep. and I'm not a numbers guy like I'm just you know do things the best you can assess it talk about it and then move on Yeah, but something about having that number to follow is just like like I hit 50 sessions today on Train Heroic which is yeah. you know when I started tracking it I don't even know what it is but since that day I've hit 50 sessions
1: yeah
0: I can't fucking wait to get the fifty first. yeah and like I think that there's something about for me and this is what I've learned about myself with journaling is that if I have the one that number that's mm. the thing that's making me almost it's di- that's the thing that's keeping me disciplined to keep tipping into that thing yeah what do you feel as though for, from your aspect obviously you've journaled before and you've journaled after and it's different yeah. What's the thing that brings you back to it to
1: keep tipping into it? Reflection. Definitely reflection. And the ability to bring up things that you weren't aware of. Like, I love that when you... And I call them realizations. When I was up at the, yeah. on the trip, I'd be writing and I'd be like two and a half pages in and then something would just pop. And I'd asterisk, highlight, realization. And then would continue writing. So, when, because what I wanted to do was do a summary of all my realizations after the trip yeah. and bring them all together so that I could see what it sort of compiled. And it's it's definitely that. And since I haven't been seeking realizations, um, obviously with the course that I went on, I wasn't allowed to meditate for 10 days. So that changed things a lot. Journal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wasn't allowed to journal. <laughs> Don't meditate on that. We'll dive into yeah. that in a sec. Yeah, no, no journaling that changed things a little bit in that sense, um, changed the experience a lot, but definitely the ability to reflect and then become aware of things that they may have been unconscious. But you know, when you get in that state and you're just writing and yeah. you go, "Oh shit," okay, yeah, mm.
0: yeah, that's it. And journaling is something that people, because I talk to people about journaling in books a fair bit because you know it's something that I try and promote you know on social media and when I talk to people as something that's incredibly important because it's you know it's impacted me so much Mm -hmm. people are like oh I can't journal like you can or like you you know writing comes easy to you and like writing for me is one of the hardest things that I do every day yeah but one I can never write faster than I can think Mm -hmm. so whatever I'm writing I have to make sure that I'm you know, actually thinking about it. Mm. Like you can't just, you can't mindlessly journal, I don't think.
1: Yeah, you got to, it's can, exactly, it's a mindful presence task.
0: Yeah, you can get into a, a space where you're just vomit, vomit, vomiting words out and you read yeah. back and you're like, what the fuck was I thinking? Yeah. But you're you're very present. But I've got, like, I this is my, the start of my fifth book, my fifth journal, like I've yep. got them all sitting here. Yes. The first one took 10 months to finish. <sighs> and this is like a couple of filled out like 10 pages of because I yeah. wanted to cultivate this habit but it took me probably took me 18 months to actually get to a daily journaling practice yeah and the second one took 3 months and the third one took 4 months and then it's been 4 months yeah. 4 months since then because there's about 120 pages and I do a page a day yeah um, and I think that for you guys, if you're listening and you're like, I can't journal or I don't have the, the patience to do it, just buy yourself a nice book, buy yourself a nice pen and just start writing shit down. Like everyone's going to have their process and it mm-hmm. took me, like I said, 18 months to one, get the daily process out, but two, get my process sorted to what I do now. Like I write one page of just... Stream of consciousness, yeah. And on the other side, I write a quote or what mm. a, a learning, or it might be something you said from this podcast, like just something that's that I've learned on that day. Mm-hmm. What's your process, and how does it look, and has it changed?
1: It's certainly changed, really. And again, it kind of aligns with the journey at the moment. There hasn't been a structure to it, and I haven't that's wanted cool. there to be. Yeah. Like there, there's days that so the first line of this current journal says, "Wow, a fresh journal," <laughs> and then. It's it's that because I was uh, aligning with the do something principle rather than structuring it, yep. and then um, uh, what was the? It's in this somewhere when I've just finished the, the meditation course. Yep. It's like wow, here I like here I am. Um, so really, it's just start and don't think. So whatever is in my mind like wow a new journal that's what I write and then it just begins and then you pull on a thread yeah and then it's exactly and then it unravels and that's what I would say if you are thinking about journaling and you're like where do I start what do I do don't think about it just whatever is in your mind just put it on the paper yeah and then it will do its own thing like what you are valuing and what you're putting weight towards in your mind will come out on the paper definitely um, because that's what's, as we were talking about this morning, what's on your mind will show itself. Like it'll just take over. So,
0: talk us talk us through getting back to the real world after that trip in uh, Port Douglas, and what was it like?
1: Uh, just trying to think back. The that one was pretty straightforward. the The big thing that I would say was that because of the amount of realizations I'd had, it was regathering relationships and coming back to those and being so much more aware of things now yeah. than before. So speaking to mum, speaking to dad, speaking to my sisters, without them being aware of what I am now aware of mm. was really, really interesting. The dynamic, not from their point and how we and communicated, but every word they would say would then trigger in me that awareness. Uh, and the same with obviously other relationships that awareness was just heightened. Yeah. Um, so the, the port one was was pretty straightforward. Um,
0: How long after that did you, one, decide, and we'll talk about why you decided to do it, did you dive into that 10-day silent meditation retreat?
1: Um, I finished port on, I think, like the 18th of August. Did that for, say, two weeks, so that would have been roughly the start of September. Yeah. Then I went away and I'd, I'd been looking at a meditation course for those at home. It's called a Vipassana course um, f- since I was in hospital in June um, because I wanted to go further down the path of understanding the mind, meditation, how deep we can go with the mind. So I'd been thinking about it since then, or if not before then, because I'd already written about it on social media. and. Then I went down to visit the family. That's when I was really rough. And that's when they called me yeah. in for the rescue treatment. When I went in for the rescue treatment and went into hospital, it was like day number four or I think it was like day four in hospital that I made the decision, hey, I want to do one of these. Yeah. Um, I'd already applied for one on the sunny coast because um, there is a a, a course that they run about 45 minutes from where we live, yeah. but they couldn't cater for my food needs which is a big thing with my health at the moment so I said look thanks anyway but I I can't Um, and then again like I'm a big big believer and this also came from the alchemist is that um, when you want something the whole universe will conspire in helping you to achieve it so I had a a friend of mine Brody Lee um, (laughs) or Brody Etherington and he messaged me back in June saying hey mate I see you. you're unwell at the moment. This was the first hospital visit. My parents actually built um, and helped build and, and run the International Meditation Centre in Newcastle. Um, if you're ever interested, let me know. And I basically back then, I think there was a lot of messages coming in. Yeah. And I just said, thank you very much. Like I'll look into it. Because it didn't say, like, Vipassana. Yeah. And then when I realized I couldn't go to these other courses, yeah. I was like, oh, Brody sent me a, something about yeah, something a while yeah. ago. And all of the other core states were closed until like mid next year. Anyway, yeah. like you couldn't get into them, and you had to look all around the world and um, to to try to get into one. And it just so happened that when I was in hospital, I found the um, place Brody had messaged me about, and there was one like two weeks later. And um, I applied and called, and and I was supposed to do a few things in between then and when i was in hospital but my health wouldn't allow it but it it happened that the dates worked out that i was going to be out of hospital the medication would have kicked in and be doing its thing and it was still very touch and go like two days before we still didn't know if i was going or not um but it all aligned that um that i got down to newcastle and was able to start that and that was for someone that is a reader writer that is analytical (laughs) that learns by writing things down and summarizing the meditation course was so so experiential because you can't do any of that
0: it was a question i asked you this morning when we were hanging out but i want you to revisit it again talk us through the structure of a day
1: okay so the the meditation course uh is 10 days straight um the, the background to it is that there's um, no speaking. So it's silence, complete silence. They call it noble silence um, from the first day. And there's to be no eye contact with students, um, vegetarian diet. Um, and you, you follow basically the um, what they call the, the precepts, which is um, no sexual misconduct, no lying or stealing. Um, uh, trying to remember them all now, obviously the noble silence and things like that that align with them. Um, no killing, along those lines of morality, as they call it. Yep. And you meditate for eight to 10 hours a day. The gong goes off, and this is a daily outline, the gong goes off at 4 a.m. to wake you up. By 4.30, you're in your first meditation. So you're doing, um, from 4.30 to 5.30 is your first sitting. And that's just individual. So you're in the hall um, with everyone else, but it's just dead silent. You're in your position meditating. Um, That's 4.30 to 5.30. From 5.30 to 6.30, we have morning discourse, which again, we um, continue meditating. But the teacher of the course will actually sit and read discourses, read um teachings yep. from the buddhist background now as a side note to this i'm from my mother's side of the family is very 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 christian um involved in churches and stuff like that over the years and i'm i would say that i'm sort of by background yeah um christian but very science kind of person so there's a lot of things that i wouldn't necessarily align with yeah So I went into this very nervous about the whole Buddhism side of things. Now that I've gotten into it, I understand Buddhism for Western countries and cultures isn't as such a religion. It's more a philosophy. Um, So the teachings were on Buddhism. And so that was from, say, um, till 6.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. Then we'd have breakfast, 6.30 to 8. Again, complete silence, no eye contact while you're in in the kitchen, in the dining hall. Then... Uh six thirty to eight. Then we'd have eight till nine was first group sitting where the teacher would actually lead the meditation. Yeah. But that was like they'd introduce it for a minute. Yeah. So it's the not te- like guided meditation no. on the
0: phone where they're talking every couple of minutes. It's... No.
1: They would they would literally introduce the technique for say thirty seconds to a minute and then it's silence. Um the first couple of days they'll what we do what they would call is potentially like um give you awareness every fifteen minutes. Yep. So they would just Every 15 minutes or so on the on the dot for them, they would just go, okay, bringing your attention back to whatever it may be. Then as the days progress, they won't until, say, the 30-minute mark, and then they won't at all. So then it just becomes your own meditation. So that's another hour. Uh, and then you have from that uh, group sitting, we then have an hour and a half which has check-ins. So that would be from, I think it's from 9.30 to 11. So there's a half an hour gap in there um, where you can go and do your own thing that
0: that's very limited (laughs) oh yeah i didn't mention that yeah
1: yeah so i forgot to mention that you're not allowed to read you're not allowed to journal you're not allowed to exercise which even involves stretching so you're not allowed to do like any kind of stretching no tai chi, anything like that all you can do is go for what they would call a a leisurely stroll which is a really slow walk um which is tough from my background like i finally got to a point where i'm feeling healthy and energetic after all these months of, and i can't do anything so i was like a Pent up rabbit. Um, so um, then during that, the interview time, you s- basically you continue meditating for the, for the hour and a half. But every 15 minutes, the teacher will call up a couple of students and he'll just ask a couple of questions, basically to see if you're on track, if you're struggling, and where he needs to guide you. But it doesn't give you the answers. It's almost like he asks you a question and answers with the question. And then you need to trust in that process. The best and most oh. kind of questions. Yes. Oh, man. When you're sitting there and you're two hours into meditation in a 10-hour day and you're struggling in the first couple of days because yeah. you can't get your mind to settle and he just answers you with a question, you're like, are you serious so right now?
0: What's an example of a question you would have asked within the first couple of days?
1: Oh, far know, out.
0: Tough question, but.
1: I would have made a statement first. Yeah. <laughs> I can't get my mind to yeah. focus um, because in the Anapana meditation, which is very, very strict and very tough, um, which I recommend people only ever try to learn by going on a course. Yeah, okay. I don't ever t- try to uh, or, or recommend anyone do it through trying to just be explained because it doesn't do it justice. Yeah. So, the first thing I would have stated, like, I can't get my, my um, self to focus. And then it would have been something like, something simple in the first couple of days. Like, I'm noticing my breath on both nostrils. <laughs> what do I do? Because it's supposed to be one pointedness, one yeah. spot. And he's like, just one spot. And that's it. That's all he would say. <laughs> or like, or he would say, is it called two pointedness? And then that would, that would be like, that's the kind of response yeah. you would get. Um, so that they would be the first couple of days as you get deeper into it and you can control your mind and control your awareness and attention. It becomes like for me, it was like I was feeling it across both of my nostrils, like down on my lip everywhere. All of these weird sensations. The first couple of days I was visualizing my nose, like up where my, if people know where the third eye is in the the forehead, like I had my eyes closed and I felt like my nose was above my eyes. It was really weird, but because I was trying to manifest it through vision, not feeling it. Um, so, yeah, and then yeah, as you get deeper, like it goes from you feel your whole nose to you can actually get it down to like a pinpoint yeah. um, where the breath is. So, yeah, that's – and then basically the second half of the day is the first half in reverse. Yeah. Okay. So you have lunch 11 till 1. Yeah. The older students don't eat after 12. Um, and then it's the same thing. You have um, another individual sitting. You have another group sitting. You have another interview session. Uh, you have another – discourse and you have another group sitting so in total it's it's depending on how much you want to do because you can leave a little bit early or miss a session if you're really tired um they're more flexible with the international meditation center because they understand it's about quality not jamming you and kind of smashing you okay um so yeah
0: what was did you sleep well
1: yes (laughs) so well but in saying that I'd gone from sleeping 12 hours a night when I was sick yeah. um, and still feeling like I needed more sleep to only getting seven to seven and a half okay. during the course. Because, because of the structure of the day. Yeah, you're up at four, go to bed at yeah. nine. Um, so you meditate through until 8.30 p.m. Yeah. Um, and then you got half an hour to do your thing before bed and then it's you're out.
0: How many hours of sleep was career-driven career driven Todd getting?
1: <sighs> I don't even want to answer it. Um, most nights, like maybe four. Yeah so but i would as i mentioned to you like this morning i would i was like the night owl yeah so in terms of me understanding now the hormones of the body circadian rhythms at a deep level with the autoimmune disease side of things um i was the what they call like the light up so at 10 p.m i'd switch on yeah so i'd work from like 10 p.m to 2 a.m at my best two to three would get a little bit hazy and then i'd be crashing yeah but i'd then get up at six or seven um and that obviously leads into why I got so sick. You've got to have all of the factors aligning and sleep was way off for me. Definitely. So, but in terms of the course, you some people will be like, you're sitting and meditating all day. Like, yeah. how can you be tired? But when, the way I explain it and for people at home, this will click to everyone. Imagine you're driving along the freeway at 110 yeah. and you've got the dotted white lines yeah. and I say to you, see the white line in front of the car, I want you to focus on that white dot, that white dot, that white dot for the next 10 minutes. Yeah. And then do that for an hour and then do that for 10 hours a day for 10 days. Like your mind is just cooked. Yeah. So I'd literally get into bed and pass out. Yeah.
0: So. I asked you this question before, but did you... Oh, Because I feel as though, and knowing what your answer is going to be, I feel as though that... And this is probably more around the way we live our lives. When I do meditate or when I do chill out, like one of the first things my body wants to do is sleep because mm-hmm. it's probably that's what it needs. Mm-hmm. Did you feel as though and did you notice other uh, students in the course would just like conk out in the middle of a meditation session or would they, you know, have one of their breaks and go out and try and sneak naps just to get that extra sleep up?
1: Yeah. So I, I personally, in the first three days, uh, after the breakfast or during breakfast, yeah. I would sleep. During lunch, I would sleep. So I'd be trying to get in those half an hour to an hour naps. Um but I was making like I was making a lot of my own food because of my health concerns. Yep. The other people could be in and out within 15 minutes, yes. so they could go and get longer sleep. Um, but yes, they would be trying to to have naps in between. And there were a couple of people that, as I mentioned, sloth and torpor is what they call their laziness and lethargy, yeah. um, which is what they call like a hindrance to to the meditation. They would have that where they feel like they would nod off. And I personally had that when I'd sit in a position where. I'd drop my chin down and kind of round over. So, like, round over my chest, go kyphotic. Yep. Um, I would want to nod off. So, I made sure that I was always sitting totally erect in, like, that really tall posture um, to, to make sure I was alert and awake. And, uh, yeah, there were a few people in the back that nodded off here and there, and I heard one of the guys start snoring <laughs> in one of them. <laughs> that took my awareness pretty quickly. Over 10
0: days, it's probably going to
1: happen once it twice. Oh, man, it's... it's um, It's crazy where the mind will take you when you've eliminated all distractions. When you can't journal, you can't read, you can't write, you can't exercise, you can't speak to people, you can't even make eye contact, you can't be checking social media to compare to anything. That's the biggest thing I've struggled with since coming back to reality. When I'm meditating now, because I'm meditating one to two hours a day still, um, in two split sessions, it's not the conversations I've had. It's not what I've done. It is the social media posts
0: yeah,
1: that are popping up in my head. And I didn't realize this before because I'd never experienced it. But I'm trying to calm my mind. And it's like a post will pop up and that image. And then all of the things from it,
0: yeah.
1: I'll start to compare. Oh, what are they doing? And how are they doing this? And
0: Have you always been like that?
1: To compare? Yeah.
0: Have you always compared yourself with what you know, maybe other people your age are doing? Or other people <laughs> that you've... Being a school I or
1: definitely or compare compare to higher level people because yeah. I always aspire yeah. to be more. So in that sense, I could probably say yes, yeah. yeah. But it's just now being aware that it actually takes the frame of mind more so than anything else, yeah. more so than real conversations, uh, real communication, real experiences. That the thing that's popping up in my head is images from my phone. Like, yeah, wow. I don't know if that's the same for other people, but I dare say, like, if it's one, it might be. plenty of others and you wonder how much that affects people's mind we know how staggeringly quickly like the mental health issues are popping up and so many people talking about social media and isolation and when that hit me the other day it was I think it was only two or three days ago that I realised what was happening and I just thought to myself I wonder if this has anything to do with that unconscious seeding of of the issues that are arising
0: I'm trying to think if I can remember any posts that I looked at this (laughs) morning yeah (laughs) it's yeah it's and it's something that like we spoke about before about creating your own meaning and finding mm-hmm. your own reasons for things and it's really it's really interesting with something like social media that people in those conversations about mental health and about what's going on and and it's like the issues are rife. We we're aware like we're at a stage where we're aware of that and we're starting to delve into the whys. But I feel as though social media can be painted tarred with, you know, a brush that that's the the reason for it all. Yeah. And I think it's it's simply a medium for us to share. Yeah. and to consume information. Exactly. And how like I'm sure you're like this is probably a deep dive you're going to jump on in the next couple of months is figure out why that those things keep coming up. But I'm sure that there's people that are able to look at social media, look at a post for what it is, disconnect and carry on with their life. Yeah. So it'll be interesting yeah, I'm sure we'll probably do one of these again at some point, but it'll be interesting to see if that changes. Yeah.
1: I dare say, like, just you bringing that up, the fact that I am not doing things like career-based right now, yeah. that it would be potentially like a, a guilt or consciousness thing or yeah. maybe like an anxiousness going, hey, they're doing this and I'm not, yeah. that it's sticking with me. That would be an easy and very logical explanation. Yeah.
0: But these explanations are usually not very easy or very logical. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So we've gone through, gone through the day. If, say, you're walking down the street and you meet someone and he says, oh, where have you been for the last 10 days? He said, I've just been on a meditation retreat. And he gives you the answer. He asks you the question, oh, what's meditation? Hmm. What would your answer be? And secondary to that question, is it, is it a different answer after the 10 days to what it would have been before the 10 days?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh I love, you know how you get those questions where you, you want to have like a real philosophical answer, <laughs> but I would honestly say now in my experience, meditation is everything you need in the sense of like in the modern day, how mindless we are in everything we do. Yeah. We have, like if I was to, to ask someone, what do you do of a morning for the first hour of your day? Most people are so structured mindlessly that they don't even, like they can just, it just happens. Yeah. So being able to step away from that's huge. Um, in the in the other sense of giving them a real answer of, of something that they could potentially click onto, what I would have said before was that I thought meditation was, I used it and, and thought it was a means to become calm or to de-stress. I also used it as a way to build uh, emotion in terms of going through previous experiences and, and things like that. Whereas the the meditation that we did in the Vipassana is the most strictest, purest form of the Buddhist meditation that the Buddhist monks, I should say, the, in this tradition, the Burmese Buddhist monks follow. Yeah. That's the Anapana and the Vipassana. And it's the first five days is solely focused on calming your mind. Now, anyone that's listening, if you've done meditation for a 15-minute session or a half-an-hour session... You may feel like that's long. Now, imagine doing that for an hour and then do that 10 times, so 10 hours per day. It took me four days, so forty more than 40 hours of meditation to actually get to a, a state of a calm mind um, in the Anapana. Um, and when I realized that that's what a real, like a truly calm mind is, I was like, wow, I'm so far off. So... To me, meditation now is a skill for life. It's it's not something I just sit and do. It's actually a skill. I'd explain it as, how does a football player get better at football? They play the game, they yeah. go and do the skill. The same thing with meditation, which I thought was so ridiculous when I first started. Like when I went into the course and they say like, what do they say? Practice meditation. I didn't even know why they said that, I was like, Meditate or do meditate, yeah, like because you never meditation. hear so, yeah, people don't say I do meditation, I practice meditation. Yeah, or you call it a practice. Yeah. yeah. Um So I had that light bulb moment where I was like, oh, This is just practice. Like you can never get to the other end of this. You can only ever get better and that I love that. And I explained to you this morning with Anapana, it's it's the there's forty types of ways to calm the mind in Buddhist meditation. Um I believe I may be butchering the the exact form, but there's forty in that Everyone sense that they to speak Google about, that yeah. Email Todd, that'd be great. Yeah, um, and uh, it's the only form where it actually gets more challenging as you get better. Yeah. Because as you get better, the breath gets smaller, so that that touch point of the breath gets smaller and, and less um, prominent. And I love that because it meant I could go after something every <laughs> session and yeah. chase it. But um, it also taught me to just be because I was I was still in that mindset of like, oh, go harder, like. Yeah. And they use the um, the the terms like being soft or being gentle or, or doing it with um, ease. You've you've the right effort on the right mind, so you can't kind of force it. Yeah. It's give yeah. You've got to take your time in it, but when you get to that place of a truly calm mind, which that's why you've got to do the ten days, and it all makes once you've done the course, you know why you can't. Exercise. Why you can't journal? Why you can't write? Because it fills your mind. Yeah. But when you get to the other end of it, and you truly know what a calm mind is in that sense, and you've been through the Vipassana, and you know what's going on inside your body at that level, you can't go back. Like you, you can't go back to living the way you were, because you've got this this new perception of things, um, and that that calm mind feeling of when you get to that. And when you close your eyes, you have that kind of black window. That's what you have for most of it. But yeah. um, people get different things that pop up. And um, for me, I had a lot of lights. And I could, after a while, I could control the lights and right. make images and things like that with them. With the, And that was... The thing is, as I, I mentioned to you this morning, actually, um, and to, to Coop, was that... Yeah, there we go. That... Like, I don't have to ring that every time I say your name. <laughs> the... The goal or the outcome, yeah. if you know it beforehand, becomes your obstacle, becomes your barrier. Because what happens is you become fixated on the next step. You don't actually... And meditation, in this sense, is all about awareness meditation, and calming the mind. Presence. Exactly. You lose the presence, so you lose the awareness. So for me, it was this really funny game and um, where... I'd be like, okay, calm the mind, focus on the spot, on the spot, on the spot. And my focus would be on the spot and it would stay there five minutes, 10 minutes to go past. And then I'd start to get the calm mind signal, which is the lights. And I'd go, fuck yes, the lights, enjoy them. And then I'd lose the spot and it'd all disappear. Yeah. I'm like, shit, now I've got to build it all over again. <laughs> so it'd be like another 15 minutes. Yeah. So you know you've done it half an hour and you've seen the lights for like that. So I explained that to the teacher and went, this yeah. is what's happening. I'm getting the lights and then i lose it. And he's like... Because you're being focused on the outcome, yeah. not the process. So I've I've only since finishing the course learned to be able to have the lights, but not give them attention. Yeah. And that's in the in speaking about Buddhism, is that everything is suffering, everything is craving. We always want to attach to it's something. Like, it's
0: like setting up like thousands of dominoes and then getting three blocks a down <laughs> and knocking it over and go fuck yourself. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. So he was he basically just said to me that you're clinging on to the enjoyment of the lights. Yeah. But this is a part of the meditation, is that you're learning not to cling on to things that are enjoyable because they are impermanent. Yeah. They will all disappear. And that's the the underlying philosophy, you would so to speak, of Buddhism yep. is that everything is impermanent.
0: Life is suffering. Yeah, exactly. It's all gonna end. Yeah. It's, we may as well enjoy it yeah. now.
1: When when you first hear it, it punches you in the face. Especially when you're from a, a background where things are based on faith that doesn't have that the potentially the Justification, I found with yeah, Buddhism, the reason it aligned with me a lot, which I find really weird saying because I still haven't really clicked with it or yeah. accepted it, I guess.
0: Still a pretty new thought process that you're diving into, yeah? Yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. A new kind of identity in that way. But yeah. everything I heard was aligning with all of the personal development information I've learned yeah. about mindset, psychology, epigenetics, um, nutrigenetics over the last three to four years. And this stuff's been taught for two and a half thousand. So yeah. it's, and it's all got... Justification, like if you look at um, condition genesis or um, dependent origination, and you look at the senses and their sense models and things yeah. like that, how the mind and the senses work. To me, I was just like, wow, yep, that makes logical sense. That clicks. That's reasonable. That's justifiable. Yeah. And it just blew my mind how it all. Do you think? Do
0: you think it's connected with you so much because so much of Buddhism is exper- experiential, because it's. It's teachings, but it's not teachings from a... It's like teaching from the ground, like from the, the place where it's all happening. Yeah, where it's happening. yes yeah, so the te- all the teachers are going through, or obviously have been through these experiences, mm. and they're learning by doing. Yes. So in a, in a really, really long-term, long-term, somewhat wise way, they've been able to create a philosophy that is centered around... Taking action, but yeah. Like obviously, that taking action is there's levels to
1: it. Yeah, the it's that th- the fact that it is based on experience is, I think, the reason that it hit me because in the discourses they're all listed and numbered, so morning one, more uh, evening one, yeah, sort of thing. And because I've gone deep dive down this as I do, I've now got the discourse books, yeah. And something that was read out on evening two clicks with me on like morning nine <laughs> yeah, and I go, oh my gosh, it hit. But that's the process that it yeah. is. It's it's all that you have to experience it. And they, they say that in the in the course and this is a part of it is, do not believe anything you are told. Yeah. Do not believe so, anything yeah. anyone tells you. Only believe what you see for yourself, yeah. what you experience. And when I heard that, I was like, this isn't someone preaching to yeah. me. This is someone giving me the opportunity to learn. So
0: opening a door for you to start your journey, I think.
1: Yeah, and that's when I started to go through it and experience it and things were clicking. And when they're aligning with your values and what you've understood and like determinism discussed against free will or, or the law of attraction and things like that, all, all sort of coming into um, subatomic particles and things like that, yeah. all discussed in the one teaching, you start to go, there's some good stuff in here. <laughs> yeah. and, and I know like... From, if I heard this before I went into the course, I would have been like, this sounds weird. yeah But it's one of those things where of the religions I've looked into and a few of the people I've discussed these things with since that have looked into a number of other religions, they've said that Buddhism has the most justifiable reasoning, the most logic behind it yeah. than anything else in terms of being based on what is rather than potentially... Um, hoping or or, yeah so i would be very careful when I go into that area because to me it isn't it's not to me it's not a religion I'm not praising the Buddha as a god it's a way of living yeah exactly it's a a way of
0: living and and just a way of thinking
1: yeah I appreciate the the learning
0: yeah and I think it's like there's probably going to be like the more you dive into it there's probably going to be things that that you kind of like oh that doesn't really sit yes well with me but yeah like oh yeah, you know, obviously I've not done something as intense, short-term, like a short-term ten-day thing. But you know, kind of dove into the just through books, just you know, ones like Siddhartha and Autobiography of <laughs> a Yogi, and those those books that you know, whether they're a parable or whether it's you know, going through that this is what Buddh- Buddhism is. Mm. It seems as though I don't want to say in the best way, mm. but the best way that i've seen or read or learnt about so far Yeah, and I it's you know you've kind of it's probably something i haven't looked i haven't really dove into with reading or learning over the last six months in terms of buddhism and the, the philosophy of buddhism but it's something that like talking about it now is exciting me to kind of dive back into it
1: yeah it's that the book that i mentioned what the buddha taught is away, mate. yeah, yeah. The way. book depository a...
0: shout out how good
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> the um it's a really good way of, of having the explanations of, of the principles. And that's what I would say in, in what you just said. To me, it's not a religion. It's the principles. And exactly what you said. There are things that don't align with me. The, some of the stories and things like that that come down to interpretation. It's kind of like some of the stories align with like the parting of the Red Sea or the, the water into wine and things like that in the Christian side of things. But it all comes down to interpretation. Like they might have been trying to get a message across from those words that we've taken the wrong way. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's more so, yeah, that the principles that are the base foundation that I've clicked with, but the more we've gone into it, and the reason I was going down this path of the time away at Port Douglas initially, and then obviously this journey in the meditation yeah. and everything was my understanding of psychology and, Obviously over the last few years and in the teaching at uni and running our programs, I've gone very deep into the research on in the physiology a lot. Yep. And the more I got into the physiology, the more I was like the body can't be separated from the mind and yep. and I believed that, but through personal experience now through the the disease situation, my diet could not have like been better to where it was. My I took on the the factor of sleep and circadian rhythms. I was doing those. I was um, uh, following the exercise protocols. I was
0: doing all the the physiological, yeah, yeah.
1: all of the physiological actions. I was taking the medication, doing those things, and I was still getting worse. And I was like, there's something more to this. And the way I look at it now, in terms of if you were to make it like a a funnel, the top in how we treat disease or illness is medication, like the pill, the pill approach, like just take another one. You'll get this side effect, so we'll give you this pill to offset that, and then we'll give you another one. That's why everyone's got 30 different pills. So you've got medication at the top. The second step is then the physiological. So they'll go into the exercise, or they'll go into, say, the diet, or they'll go into um, family environments and things like that. Yeah. The deepest level, I believe, and that's where I'm now on this journey, it's obviously for me to be able to teach people in the future, but also because I've needed it for my own body, is psychologically. Um, I knew that and I felt at at my absolute inner core that my issue and the reason my condition was getting worse despite everything we were doing was the fact that my stress, which we know causes cortisol adrenaline inflammation in a nutshell was my inflammation was not going away and nothing could remove it because it was being manifested psychologically that chronic stress from the the business and that's where i said i need to step away from this um and the the psychological side of things is where the the anapana meditation has been like the biggest gift i could have ever received in my entire life because it's the ability when your future focus as we spoke about at the start of the podcast and all you're ever thinking about is the, the next yeah. thing you're never in the now you're never present you actually find out through through going deep in, in the psychology that that is a, a chronic stressor on the body because that puts you in so. even even if it's not a negative thought just the thought of focusing on the future still puts the body into a constant state or a state of anxiousness mm. and we know that that anxiousness may not make you feel anxiety and, and really bad but just the fact that you've got that anxiousness about then not now yeah that chronic stress um over time that inflammation is the, the precursor to a lot of diseases and realizing those things and then obviously deeper going down the rabbit hole knowing that as i mentioned um i've mentioned this to a few people is from what we understand there's only seven diseases in the world that are actually predetermined if you have that Genetic sequence, or you have that um, predisposition, you will get the disease. Only yes. seven out of the hundreds to thousands that we have; the rest all come down to multifactorial yep. elements. There's um, other
0: things you've got to tick off, yeah, before that they they become they manifest themselves.
1: So I guess if you would say, "What's Todd Jarrett's journey uh, at the moment, or what is it? Was it been? What's his purpose? Yep. It's to get to the bottom of autoimmune <laughs> disease. I'm, I mean it like." And it's, for me now, it's working out, okay, how do I do this um, in the future for the long term? Because yeah. there are some people that have, have done really well with it, but I feel that there's some people that almost like leverage off it the amount of people that are affected to run it as a business. Yeah. Whereas for me, I want to go, if you speak to almost any doctor in, in Western medicine, in hospitals or whatnot, the specialists in their area, we don't know what the cause of autoimmune disease yeah. is. We, we look at the physical. Like,
0: yeah. How, where does, and, you know, it's potentially just semantics in terms of our language compared mm. to say, like Western language compared to say Eastern language, mm. where does spirituality and psychology, how do they fit in together? Are they, like, do you feel as though they're the same thing? Mm.
1: So I would, now that like, cause spirituality or spiritual still sits funny with me. Like that's where, and this whole journey, you could say this journey I've been I was on has been a spiritual journey. Um I've been calling it the journey within or the health journey, but um, I call it like the mind-body, yeah. or the, the body-mind complex. And that is the the psychology, and, and you could say that the spiritual side of it, either, either or um, either. But it's, in a nutshell, it's the mind or it's the consciousness. And I believe it is the major, the underlying factor um, of most of these lifestyle-based which are autoimmune conditions. Yeah. Most doctors, most specialists will say that we could even go beyond autoimmune diseases and just say lifestyle-based diseases. We know diabetes, obesity, all of those things, they come down like we speak about nutrition and exercise. Um, but the ones that are based around inflammation and stress and the body attacking itself, the number one factor for stress is not physical stress, it is it is the psychological, um, because that's the, the, the constant. And when you sort of deep dive down into the neurotransmitters and hormones and how all of that interrelates and is affected, it it, it gets crazy, but you just start to see all of these things align. You can't look past it. Yeah. So for me, it's, it's working out the root cause of this because from what I can understand, the number of autoimmune diseases has skyrocketed in the last 30 years. Um, and I believe... And again, this could be a, a dodgy statistic that I've been fed, but it's the fastest-growing class of disease in the world. Makes no surprise to me um, in understanding our lifestyle and everything going on. Yeah, and we talk
0: about where your mindset was at with the comparison, and you know that's a the quote a quote that's been on the wall about us for the last couple of years: is "Comparison is a thief of joy." Yeah. We uh, there's an Alan Watts quote that I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's basically around the, the anxiety just comes from. Looking too far ahead and, mm-hmm. trying to, and trying to create that future that isn't the here yet, yeah. and um, it might be—I don't know if it's depression, but it's around all everything that's happened before us. Yeah, and obviously those two, both of those two things are, are things we can't control. Yeah, the controllables are in the here and now. Yeah, like in my head, I can think about okay, I know I'm coaching the Sabo, I know this is what I expect to happen, but mm. until it actually happens, there is. And I need to be prepared for those those coaching sessions. Yeah. So there's there's a bit of uh, there's a bit of irony with how that thought pattern goes. But yeah. I need to be able to enjoy right now, otherwise, then we've kind of gone full circle with yeah. the, you enjoying the, the now and not worrying about down down the line. Um, a quote I did like this is like an hour ago when we were talking about it. But um, Naval Ravikant, have you? dove into any of his stuff. No, not his books. He's incredible. He he. Um, I don't know if he's written any books, but he's got some. Uh, he did a bit of a tweet storm on like happiness and stuff. Like, yeah. Okay. Like, like maybe last year, and and then he's done a heap of podcasts, like short ones about it. But his definition of retirement, which I feel as though I'm cl- as close to this idea as I've ever been. Yeah. It's when you stop sacrificing today for some imaginary tomorrow. When today is complete in and of itself, you're retired. And I think the ability to enjoy now what mm-hmm. we have, like the people we get to spend it with, you know, whether the sun's out, whether it's raining, you know, the things that we've got here and now. Mm. We, if we can appreciate that and actually and live, you know, and you've talked about the book, The Power of Now, which talks about a very similar idea. Mm if we can do that, then what happens today, tonight or tomorrow, doesn't really matter. Yeah. What's happened in the past doesn't really matter it, because, you know, we can't control it. Yeah. So, you know, and I probably shifted a little bit, almost too basic of an understanding of this stuff. Mm. But, you know, if I can't control it, what's the point of fucking worrying about it? Yeah. And it's, like we've just, you've been through some hectic stuff lately, like we've just sold a house, bought another one, and, you know, we are waiting on so many things from the banks and all this kind of stuff and, KP was getting anxious about a lot of it and I almost mm. I found myself getting anxious about a lot of it and yeah. I'm just like, I can't control it, but I'm getting anxious about it, and I found myself kind of starting to dive down that spiral. Yeah. And it all got sorted. Yeah. But we know, like that ability to live in the now is mm. the same as meditation, it's a learn skill. Yeah. And it's something that you need to keep tipping into. It yes. doesn't just happen. Yeah. It's a you know, I'm sure that journaling, these conversations, the you know, reading different listening to podcasts those things are the things that help Mm. with that living in the here and now what do you think other I'm on the list guy what do you think are the top two or three things that for the people that are struggling to enjoy right now Mm. what
1: would you suggest what advice would you have Uh, every time you catch yourself thinking about the future or the past just take your attention to your breath but attentively for those that haven't done anapana like I said I wouldn't even try to explain it just breathe heavily through your nose and then just become aware of every breath in and every breath out for a couple of moments that's all you need to do to start one of the teachers gave me that as a without knowing as a gift before we left he said when you leave because a lot of people have massively emotional experiences leaving these courses he just said to me when you drive out of here, as you drive out the driveway, be aware of the breath. Now, every time I catch myself, whether I'm in the shower, brushing my teeth, cooking food, driving, yeah. I catch myself, I just go back to the breath, and then I'm present again. And it's just like the worries of the world disappear. And that's when I know I'm winning because this yeah. is what I needed in my life. Um, the other thing would be to, and I know you'd probably agree with this, but you, you did say, journaling is a big one. Keep a journal on with you, um, even if you just got your phone notes, mm. even if you just audio to texting, into your phone notes, what you're feeling at that point. Self-expression is massive because so much of our everyday life is external consumption. Consumption of other people's stories, other people's actions in comparison, Um, taking in information from social media or people that watch the TV, the news. Very little is actually about expressing yourself and expressing yourself in a true form Mm. because so many or so many people express what they want others to believe of them not who they really are um so they kind of get pent up yeah and i think that's a big part again of that autoimmune side of things the stress and the anxiety of what are people thinking in that comparison um jay shetty who's actually probably um yeah yeah he's a he's a big mentor of mine in that sense he's probably the person that actually led me down this path most yeah, cool. because he's obviously got the background of being the, the monk and then doing the the mindset side of things and I was like this guy is wise kind of like Robin (laughs) Sharma in that sense I was like I like what he's putting down I want to pick it up so I can thank him for that he he has a quote and it's oh I'm going to try not to butcher it but it's it might take a few moments to click with people because you really got to think about it we are what we think other people think we are so we are not what we are we are not what We think we are. We are not what other people think we are. We are what we think other people think we are. So if you have the Mm -hmm. perception um, of me, that's not who I am. My perception is what I think you think I am. And that's where it kind of becomes, when you really, because I spoke about this with mum, because I said it to her and she's like, what? And then I, mum, got her to listen to the episode. And when we discussed it, I started to case study. And I was like, holy shit. It's true. Everyone, like every relationship I had with people yeah. was based on what I thought they thought of me. And that just blew my mind. And again, awareness is the most powerful gift you can give any relationship. Because when you're aware of it, you know to expect it. So now rather than when I was going on this journey within, some people were kind of like, well, everyone's been supportive. But as you know, we sort of spoke about this morning. There's been a few other things in addition to my health that have happened the last few months um, where people have kind of gone, oh, like interesting what you're doing. Yeah. Um, but then I was like, if they said that and I felt negative, I'd come back to what I think they yeah. think I am. Ha ha, okay. And then it'd take the power out yeah. of, you know, the, the the voltage out of it. And I'd be like, that's just what I think. Yeah. That yeah. they're thinking of me, it doesn't really matter. So it takes a sting out, so to speak. When you become aware of that, other people's words don't affect you.
0: You're just aware. It becomes aware of how you react to things, and mm. it just, you, you're aware of your thought process because, you know, obviously, a big part of Buddhism is well, you are not your thoughts. Yeah, big part. A part that, like that, blew my mind hole a couple of years ago when I, when I probably early on when I started journaling and you know mm. started doing these podcasts. Yeah, is that you are not your thoughts because you know, I we react to things mm. and our brain reacts to things and we we go on this thought loop
1: Hmm.
0: and awareness that allows you to move forward and figure shit out is being aware of that thought loop and how it actually affected you. Yeah. And, you know, it was late at night, late last night, um, I was getting ready for bed and and would, something came up work wise, Hmm. um, stuff, stuff that was going on, that's going on. Um, like nothing overly negative or anything, but, Hmm. I started thinking about it, and you know, when you get that like hair on the back of your neck, like, like no, like it's almost like the something's going, something's wrong mm-hmm. feeling. I kind of had that, and I was like, wait, what am I actually worried about here? Yeah, and it was more so because I journaled about it shortly after. It was, it was more so about like the the uh, lack of awareness or the instability that was. Potentially going to come from that. Yes, not that that was happening. Yep, but the the instability that could come. Yep. as as a result of that, and I'm like, oh well, right now there's nothing I can do. So and I had a great sleep last night. Yeah, but it took a 15-20 minute window for me to work through it. Yep, some some words in the journal and um before I actually went to sleep and had a good sleep. Yeah, you know, if I had not assessed how I felt, what was going on. Mm. I feel as though I would've had a completely different sleep.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's the, that, that unconscious mind. That when you, when you delve into the, the meditation side of things deeper, it's, mm. again, this is where it blew my mind, the whole Buddhism philosophy with mindset, is that they were so aware of the unconscious and the conscious mind. Uh, in that the, how we say something's on my mind, or uh, basically analogies along that line. And as soon as we're referring to the mind, when you leave a thought pondering, so to speak, it stays in that that unconscious. It's almost like it gets locked in a little box and that box is always going to be there or it's going to be there for a period of time afterwards. And that's why I believe like journaling and things like that, when you clear it out, you kind of allow it to fall out of the box. An
0: analogy, an, an analogy that's worked really well for me in the past with that exact same thing mm. is every thought we have, every conversation we have with someone, every, uh, every interaction we have with either ourselves or you know, something that's going on in the world, it opens up a loop. Yes, and if we leave that loop open, it's pretty much like having an extra tab open on your on on Google Chrome. Mm. And we know that Google Chrome loves to eat RAM. <laughs> mm. That's what I've learned. But we keep adding tabs, adding tabs, adding tabs. Mm. Eventually, something will blow up. Yeah. E- either the computer will stop working as as fast, or mm-hmm. you know, Chrome will shut. Have to shut down, or you know, it'll suck all the battery out. And it's I feel as though those loops are the same with us and how we actually act and, and deal with things. The best way to close out those loops is either to talk about it, to write about it, to think about it, to assess it, to become more aware of it. And if we become more aware of it, more loops are able to be closed. Yeah. And that, like, that's something that, that was, just, that was a, uh, about maybe 18 months ago. Uh, one of the mentors I look up to very highly, Matt Church, introduced to me. And it's just like every time you have a conversation with staff member that, that doesn't get uh, doesn't get sorted or there's not a a full stop at the end, mm-hmm. open loop, okay. and, it, and it eat they'll eat they'll eat you yep. up until your your brain doesn't work anymore. Mm. Um, and you know whether it's meditation, whether it's writing, close the loops, yeah, close the loops, and yeah, can you know, it allows you, the you mind to calm, be calm, yeah, yeah.
1: Calmness is that the presence, the power of now, like, it was funny speaking to the meditation teacher because I go to use, like, presence. Yeah. This now enables, enables me to be present. He's like, what do you mean present? And he's like, you're focusing on the, the spot or whatever it is. So when I was in there, I, a lot of the words I couldn't use that I wanted to, but it's absolutely coming down to, to being present. And it sounds so stupid, but I honestly believe that me saying that I want to get to the to the understanding of the root cause of so many autoimmune conditions, yeah. yes, there's going to be a genetic predisposition. We understand that. We know that from so much science. We know that factors like food have an effect. We understand the gut microbiome has an effect. We understand that all of these things have an effect. I honestly believe when we get to the deepest level of it, the bottom of it, it's going to come down to how present people are and how not present most people are, how preoccupied um, people are with things that don't really matter yeah Yeah. so and and I can say that from a theoretical standpoint like we can't go into all the theory on a podcast it'll take me hours and hours and hours of, of what we've sort of come to Yeah, but also from an experiential standpoint and the people I've spoken to it's funny doctors and this is really really important the doctors and the specialists will say diet doesn't have an effect let's just say for for autoimmune sake, for ulcerative colitis sake, diet doesn't affect, um, stress doesn't have an effect. The only thing that can fix this, or sleep doesn't have an effect, the only thing that we can really truly fix this is medication. And I said, well, but it it gets worse when I'm stressed. Like I flare up. And they go, yeah, yeah, it can flare it up. But It doesn't affect it. You're telling me it can flare it up, but it can't affect it. So it can make it worse, but it can't trigger it. And then they have nothing to say. It's the same thing with diet. And it's funny because the Australian Dietary Guidelines that are linked with the autoimmune conditions, which is a massive blanket, which everyone I believe should be becoming aware of, autoimmunity because of how big of a deal it is, because it's intergenerational, is that it says diet has no effect um, or these specific foods have no effect on the condition. But then literally the next paragraph over, it says these will cause flares. These foods should be avoided. Yeah. And it's just mind boggling and that's a part of what we want to what we want to get past is that limited or, or band aid kind of area where it's like I said, the first thing is they want to just medicate. And the issue is that so many of these practitioners and professionals are specialists in their area. But if you go and speak to someone that's a specialist in one area about another. They have no idea about how this A affects B. Yep. Yet the body is one and they all affect one another. If you were to say um, you're speaking to a specialist on the gastroenterology, the, the colon, the GI tract, and then they said that um, the hormones have no effect on GI, okay, well... Let's cut out adrenaline and cortisol and testosterone and see what happens. Yeah. Things like that. Like it has an effect it's on the gonna, body. It's
0: going to change how things, like it's just a domino effect. We don't, we understand such a small percentage of how the body works. Yeah. And even, you know, a couple of my best friends are doctors mm. and they're in the second year. And, you know, try like we talk about, I obviously see from a experiential point of view how beneficial uh, training is and mm. how beneficial. Like the mindset that comes with training is that obviously impacts things like sleep and stress and and um, and diet and all those things and it's not something that is given the weight I think it deserves. Oh, mm. like, I was thinking about it. It's probably not a thought process I've had before, but I, you think of the thing that's you know mortality rates, child mortality rates are like all time low worldwide. Like they've drastically <laughs> improved over the last hundred years. Mm obviously earlier on in the Western world and then towards like in the underdeveloped countries they starting amazing, amazing things are happening yeah. at the moment it's almost like because that's gone so well and most of that's happened because of vaccines and medication and, mm. and things like that it's almost because they've gone so well we've gone ah oh, here's how we fix everything mm. but our next evolution as a as a society from a medical standpoint and you know obviously diving into gut, gut biome and, and the psychology of of Medicine. Mm. I think the next progression or big jump or understanding shift that we're gonna have is okay. Well, we know the medications play a part, but here's how you know here's how the the thinking and and the way we approach all of this is going to affect it all. Yeah. And we go okay. So you know maybe the these uh these monks in Burma that have been teaching this for two and a half thousand years. Maybe they they were onto something. Yeah. And it's gonna be a and exi- it's kind of, I guess it's exciting that you're diving into this journey. And I guess, uh you know, as a as a way to like wrap this up, because we'll talk forever. <laughs> a previous version of me might have said, "Okay, what does the future look like for Todd Jarrett?" But current, more enlightened version of me is going to ask you, "How are you feeling at this
1: moment?" Excited. Yeah, I'm excited. I think um, I've. Been very fortunate to be surrounded by some very, very smart specialists in groundbreaking areas, like the, the fecal microbial transplant with my gastroenterologist
0: and... Sidebar, you want to explain that quickly? Oh, okay. It's mind-blowing. Okay,
1: yeah. So basically some people will get a little bit oof by yeah. it. For me, like it's normal talk now because yeah. I've been dealing with this stuff for so long. Um, fecal, feces, so poo, Pooh. shit. Yeah. Okay, bowel movements. Um Microbiome is the good and bad bacteria mix in your gut, which they're now finding is, basically they believe it's like a second brain, but it actually sends 80% of the communication to the brain and the brain only sends 10 to 20% to the gut, so it's almost in a reverse order. Basically they're finding that you can take someone's stool, someone's fecal microbiome, and transplant it into another person and completely rid them of autoimmune conditions. the The research behind this stuff is mind-boggling. Um, they've in in animal studies. They've taken mice that are obese and given the microbiome to lean mice. The lean mice becomes obese. They've reversed it. Taken obese mice and made them lean. They've done that with humans now. They've done the same thing with autism, where they've taken the um, microbiome of someone without autism, given it to someone with autism, and the autism is. Um, Suspended, And they've done this with numerous, numerous people. They've done this with countless diseases as well. Autism's just the first one that, that pops to mind. They've done it with uh, ulcerative colitis as well, which is obviously the area that my background's um, been in. But they're also finding, I believe there's been a study done and it's had effects psychologically with people. So there's potential looking into there for things like depression and, and along those lines. Again, because the, they're finding out so much about the microbiome. Um, But, yeah, for me, that would be the opportunity to get my gut sorted, um, where it can then basically take over the the ecosystem inside the the GI tract. And 80% of your immune system is on your GI tract, Mm. just on the outside wall. Um, So that's why it's a a really big deal. So that's that's one area, and that's um, my gastroenterologist who's doing some groundbreaking research in that area. And it just so happened that he was based on the sunny coast, which I know has happened for a reason in, in my journey. And then my integrative doctor.
0: Talk um, about de- determinism on another podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my uh,
1: my integrative doc, he's been incredible. He yeah. did um, a lot of work in metabolic medicine, which is all like hormones and, and, and all of that side of things. So bringing their knowledge together and them teaching me um, and then me being able to have my own experiences and do all of the, what i'm experiencing bringing it all together makes me really excited for what we can do for the world in the sense of empowering people to take control of their health and their disease because that's all it comes down to is disease so i want to see people that are potentially going down a rough path that i've been down avoid that and i want to see people be empowered and be knowledgeable um, in the situation where they can take control for themselves. So, yeah, my direction certainly changed a lot, but I know that I always felt like the the sports science side for me. I knew it was there for a reason. Now I know it was there to teach me physiology at a really (laughs) good level um, and to get me down this path, but I feel like this is more of that path so it's exciting yeah it's very exciting and there's a lot more of it to come that's for sure
0: how can people follow you follow your journey keep tabs on what's happening
1: uh, at Coach Jarrett on Instagram and Facebook um, at the moment I dare say in the near future uh, we'll have a, a website up we had all of these things in the works mm. when before I got unwell and, and made yep. this decision so I've been um, pretty absent from all forms of socials for the last while but when things do pop up, they're of importance. So, So,
0: yeah. Mate, it's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. And to everyone that's listened through this, uh, I appreciate you guys and I hope you've uh, enjoyed and taken something from it.